I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. You may be seated. All right, everyone, it's time for your Sunday morning syntax lesson. Let's all look down at our papers and see what we notice about the first sentence in today's gospel. Go on, go on. First sentence in today's gospel, what is the first punctuation mark you see? Parentheses, well done, parentheses. Okay, parentheses, wait. Those are used in writing to provide an explanation of a previous statement, right? Or enclose some additional information about what the author thinks we need to know for some clarity. So those two half moons kicking off today's gospel clutch in their grasp a clarification, not Iscariot. In fact, Judas's name shows up in the gospels followed by a clarifying clause in almost every single instance. Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Judas called Iscariot. Judas, one of the 12. Judas, who would betray him. Judas, who betrayed him. Judas, who had betrayed him. Judas, not Iscariot. The very first time Judas's name is mentioned in every single gospel, the very first time it's named, the same Greek word is used, paradidomai. It means to hand someone over as they're standing next to you. Imagine with me, opening up the first page of a great crime thriller novel, and on the very first page, you read who'd done it before you ever read the plot. Why? Why would the authors introduce Judas to us this way every single time? every single author of every single gospel? What reason might a novelist have for labeling a character before there's a storyline? Let's reframe this a little bit. The disciple Matthew. He has not one parenthetical next to his name in all of scripture. Does anyone here have poor associations with Matthew? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. By continually attaching a parenthetical to Judas's name, the authors of scripture are shaping exactly how they want us to understand him. Judas is defined by the parentheticals others place on him, and they're usually not very favorable descriptions. A few years ago, I was with my son in the airport and we were looking for a good place to eat. And there was a sign on the restaurant that said Premier Restaurant. And I got excited. But I thought, OK, they probably have high-end prices for that high-end food. Um, but it looks like they have high-end chairs. And that's really what I need right now. So that's why I picked the restaurant. You know, I'm lugging around a 16-month-old. I've got all my luggage. I just needed a place for the old caboose to rest. So I choose the Premier Restaurant. And as I approach the hostess, she asks for my name. I give that to her. And her next question is, are you a premier member? No, I tell her. And that's when she did it, right next to my name, in parentheses, not premier. 
and I swear I saw Judas's name on the list before me. <laughs> the author of this seating chart at this particular restaurant had an agenda. When she jotted down my name, she was giving some clarifying information for the servers and the teller. I was not to receive treatment like a premier member. I was not premier. No discounts for me that day. So as I picked up my kid and my luggage, I just kept thinking, I hope I get to sit in the cushy chair still, right? Not premier. Have you ever found yourself on a not premier list? Felt like the script of your life was being written by somebody else with all these words in the margins you knew nothing about? Maybe you didn't have the right social membership. Maybe it, be, it was because it wasn't the right gender or skin color. Were you that freshly minted college student, college graduate, whose ethnic name invited an awkward pause where you knew there should have been a job offer? Or the parent counting hard-earned change, pulling out much-needed WIC vouchers, in the grocery line at Whole Foods or Heinen's. Maybe everyone's eyes were staring at you and writing your class in parentheses. Parentheticals of others create for us unfair circumstances, completely outside of our control at times. We all know that some parentheticals come from hardships in our lives or from stigmas that were passed down by other people in our family. We learn from the parentheticals in the Gospels that Judas took his father's name. That was one of the first ones, son of Simon Iscariot. Judas called Iscariot. The Greek word for murderer sounds a lot like Iscariot. Sicarius, Iscariot, Sicarius, Iscariot. If you were the hostess, wouldn't you do a double take? I promise you a name like Iscariot would have been enough in the ancient world to turn ahead. Now there's actually no gospel account of an Iscariot family member murdering anyone. But these parentheticals make sure we do the double take, a safety check. Time after time, we're redirected not to trust the Iscariots. Or in today's gospel, not to confuse that Judas with an Iscariot Judas. See, from the first time his name is mentioned in the gospels, that social bar is set higher than Judas will ever be able to reach. Every mistake he makes, every move that might be a sin is logged in the margins of scripture. Judas Iscariot, might actually be the most marginalized person in scripture. And sadly, there's often no good news for those on the margins. Those whom theologian Howard Thurman describes as always having their backs against the wall. No good news for folks on the B list, except that that's the list Jesus seems to use every time he sends out a dinner invitation? 
Theologians everywhere recognize Jesus gives preferential treatment to those on the B list, to the poor, to those evil tax collectors and sinful women. Anyone with a parenthetical sinner next to their names in the culture's eyes never seemed to have one in Jesus' eyes. Which is why it bothers me so much that in today's gospel, there's a parenthetical in the middle of Jesus talking to somebody because he did not put it there. And what's even more annoying for me is that in this English translation we have, the editors actually moved that parenthetical from another verse and stuck it into our English version today. It's not even there in the Greek. They wanted to make sure that we knew the Judas we're talking about is not Judas Iscariot. An author, or an editor, I should say, of the English translation moved it for our clarity. And what Jesus actually tells us, though, in today's gospel is that other people's premier lists, they don't really matter. That actually an A discipleship list is bogus. Because the only list that matters to Jesus is the list of love. In his conversation today with Judas, not Iscariot, he essentially says to them, do you love God? Do you love me? Because if you do, you have a home with God. Even if your last name sounds like murderer. Recall with me, if you will, the last thing Jesus did with Judas Iscariot knowing exactly what was about to happen. What did he do? He shared his bowl with him. He had a meal. Scripture tells us that Jesus loved his disciples to the very end. Guess what? That included Judas. Jesus breaks bread in God's house with anyone who will eat with him. And Jesus loved Judas to the very end, just as he did all of the disciples. The beloved disciple was not just John who had that parenthetical. And I think we sometimes miss that. We forget that Judas in the Gospels actually repented of his sins. Do you remember that? All those sins that were perpetually listed in the margins. Scripture tells us Judas was seized with remorse. And he returned the money he got for handing Jesus over to the authorities. He quite literally couldn't live with himself after what he'd done. He repented. And you know which disciple makes sure to note that in his gospel? Matthew. Good old Matthew with no parentheticals. But Matthew knew what it was to be on the B list. Because guess what? He was a tax collector. He was one of those sinners. And he had to learn for himself that Jesus' words were really true. That Jesus could really love even him. Even an Iscariot. So perhaps Matthew's invitation to us then is to write in the margins of our own minds some new parentheticals 
maybe Judas could have a parenthetical in your mind as one who repented, one who was sorry. You see, the thing is with parentheticals, we can add them in for clarification. And they can evolve with the characters in the story as the characters evolve. A parenthetical at the beginning of the story doesn't have to remain the same throughout. It can even be added in in later manuscripts by editors for new linguistic or cultural meaning needed over time. So I wonder today if we might make some new parentheticals. If we start with Judas, perhaps we'll find we can make some new parentheticals about others. Maybe even about ourselves. What new ways might you find to describe all of the disciples Jesus loved? That's all of them. There's a long history of marginalizing Judas as someone especially notorious, but maybe there's really nothing that special about him. Maybe he was just a human being on the B list for much of his life. And whatever sins he did commit, and whatever sins others claimed he committed and constructed and put on his name, they were placed on him in other people's minds. But in the end, it doesn't really matter which list we place Judas on because Jesus kept him on his list the whole time. And I think that's why we can all believe Jesus today when he tells us in the gospel, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. You have a home with God. Because the only parenthetical place next to your name in his mind is that you are loved.